This is Winning Slowly, taking the long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art. I'm Chris Kreitcho, and I've been saying basically that for six years now. So many years, and I'm Stephen Caradini, and I've also been saying that for six (laughs) years. I have not changed my name in any of this time. I once did try to change my name, and my mother was really mad at me. Wait, this is the story that you're going to have to tell me later, because somehow it's a story that despite having known you for 13 years? Yeah. I I haven't heard. It actually... It happened in that one phase where we didn't talk for like three months because you were busy with life, (laughs) which is a good argument for why I shouldn't stop talking to you for any amount of time. Here we are talking on the air once again. That's right. That's right. So welcome to season eight of Winning Slowly. It's so good to be back. This episode is just going to be an overview of what we're going to do in season eight, which is different than what we've done in any of the previous seasons. Just like every previous season. (laughs) That's true. But this one, I think, has... A very different cast than some of the other ones, which were format changes, and this is like a stylistic change and a format change. This season, we are going to read books. And in fact, we're just going to read them on air. I'm just going to pull out my copy of Plato's (laughs) Phaedrus and start reading. I would want to know what Plato would think about the fact that his... After all these years... Well, we'd have to read Phaedrus to find out. After all these years, the oral has come back The orality has returned. That's right. (laughs) But in a new form. In a new form, as always. But yes, so we are going to read books. Chris and I... We're not literally going to read books on on air. Not on air. Not on air. But we are going to discuss them on air. We're going to read them off air and then discuss them on air. And what we're interested in is that there is a quote-unquote canon of writings on technology... And a lot of it is stuff that mostly people don't read, or they read summaries of, or they read excerpts, or they read criticism and commentary on. But a lot of them, for whatever reason, many of them for varying reasons, don't get read in their entirety. And so we're going to go through and read some of those things this year. And maybe next year. And maybe next year, and who knows how long. This season, people, we don't know how long it's going to go. We know roughly what the schedule will be, and we'll cover that in a minute. But by dint of the fact that the quote-unquote canon is large, and unlike many looks at canons of this sort, we're very intentionally taking a broad brush when we look at what comes into this canon, because we're going to hit some of the big ones. As we'll cover, our first one is going to be Plato's Phaedrus because it is the most cited and least well understood other than maybe some Marshall McLuhan quotes. We're going to read that, but we're also making a point to read things by black authors and things by women and things by black women and so on when most of this is from the traditional reads, a bunch of Western white guys, though always worth note that Plato would not have recognized himself in that description. Yeah, he wasn't Western or white at the time that he was thinking that didn't exist. No, he thought of himself as a good Athenian. Yes, not even a Greek, just an Athenian. Right. That's actually part of the Phaedrus, hilariously enough, is that why would you ever want to leave Athens? But That's neither here nor there. We'll get to that. We're trying, though, to do a very broad reading here. That's the broad strokes of what we want to do. We want to read things Mm -hmm. that people don't usually read for the sake of, one, contributing the thoughts that are not usually discovered in these works into the air, two, for our own edification, and three, because... Over the course of the last seven seasons, we've realized that we're 
coming to a point where we're interested in questions of epistemology and particularly how technology mediates epistemology, how technology changes how we know things, not what we know. We've talked a lot about how technology changes what we know, but we want to be cognizant of how technology changes how we know. And this has a lot of arms attached to it. (laughs) It is a, a big, big issue, but it is specific enough that it's not ontology on being. I'm reading a book right now about being, ontology, and this is not that. And we're also not particularly interested in specifically science and technology studies, how the the academic and philosophical cast of science and technology has been, uh, I I would say, archived, preserved, and analyzed. I think that's a fair... (laughs) Fair assessment. That's also interesting to us, but that's not this. What we're particularly interested in is how do technologies, whether they be very ancient or very new, change the process of knowing, of memory, of understanding and comprehending? And one of the reasons for that is that a lot of the public discourse around this tends to assume that technology is neutral in all the ways that matter. And we've spent a great deal of the last six years and seven seasons arguing against that. But it is very helpful, we think, to get into the nitty gritty about how and why. So to that end, we're starting with Phaedrus here, in part because Phaedrus always gets trotted out. This is the bit of Plato that People always bring up when talking about technology about, oh, people have been saying this about new technologies for the last 2,500 years. Plato didn't like books. Yeah. And that's kind of true. And it's kind of not, as we'll talk about. Yeah. But more importantly, the specific reasons Plato had to critique written media are often not taken on board. And it's entirely possible we'll go back and read Phaedrus and say, maybe we ultimately still think the trade-off is worth it, but actually Plato was right. And a lot of times in these kinds of discussions, we miss the opportunity to do that and to recognize that these shifts have real consequences. Mm -hmm. And so whether it's reading Plato or whether it's reading someone who's writing a year ago, there's opportunities to sharpen our own thinking, hopefully to share some interesting things with you, and thereby to, in whatever small degree we're able, better the dialogue around these kinds of things. Because so often it stops at the kind of cursory level I just outlined of, oh, Plato hated books, why are we critiquing new technologies? It's just change, move on. Or people saying, Plato was right, all new technologies are bad, etc. And as we've well established six years along, we don't think either of these reads is correct. But also, as we hit the end of last season and we were mulling on where we go from here, and as we were mulling on the limits of what we've been able to say and the limits of what kind of productive work we were able to do on air last season as we struggled our way for better and for worse towards some kind of ethic of hope when it comes to tech and tech criticism. Mm -hmm. We also recognized the need for our own betterment. Stephen mentioned that a minute ago. And we both feel keenly the need to grapple with some of these texts. And there's a very real sense in which I'm treating this as the equivalent of a PhD seminar reading 
list for myself. Stephen got to do some of that in his PhD. I'll be rereading the Phaedrus for the millionth time. <laughs> See, I wish you could have seen Stephen's eyebrows. Like, Dang it. I don't want to do this. Uh, but there's an opportunity here. And therefore, some of the structure of how we're doing this season for you to join us in that. We're intentionally building out this season structurally in such a way that if you want to read along with us, you can. We're going to tell you every time we finish talking about one book, what the next book will be. And if we know sooner than that, we'll tell you even sooner than that. But the idea will be that if you want to join us on this PhD seminar of reading, that's going to be lots of nonfiction, some of it pretty heavy, some fiction, some of it probably fairly heavy, some of it maybe light and interesting, even especially when we just need a break. (laughs) Yeah. As I told Chris, when we were planning this One of the ways that I sustain long reading binges is by interspersing different Mm -hmm. forms of the same topic into the topic. So Chris and I read very differently, which you'll find out throughout this season. (laughs) I will go on year-long jags where I say, I'm going to read science fiction this year. And like I go and find a list of like the top 100 sci-fi books, and I just try to read it all. And like... Chris is like, I was reading a book on eschatology and also a book on technology and a book on the history of the fork and a book on like... <laughs> uh, I've never read a book on the history of the fork, but in all seriousness, if someone has one, no, no, I want one, to know actually. about it. There is one. It's called Consider the Fork, and it's about the development of utensils over the Amazing. This is getting ordered right yes, after my... we have this call, because Stephen is yeah. right. I'm always reading broadly. That's actually going to be an interesting challenge for me. I rarely rarely just sustain a single subject this long. Mm -hmm. Now, Mm -hmm. that being said, I'm also going to probably be teaching a class on theological anthropology for my church in the summer. So don't worry, I'll still be getting my sideline of other materials here. Yeah. And he reads fast enough that he can be like, yeah, I read a trilogy over the weekend. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) cool. I took care of a sick kid. (laughs) I do that too sometimes. Yeah. So with that in mind, we're hoping to read about a book a month. That's that's a rough estimate of what we expect. Uh, and on top of that, we're thinking about reading a large work. Now, not like Robert Carroll, Lyndon B. Johnson large work. We're not going full on that far. But we are thinking about reading 500, 600-page work in the background mm-hmm. that sort of informs the work that we're doing of thinking through these topics throughout the uh, season. And we haven't figured out which book it is. We're going to talk about that actually in a minute. On air! But that's on air! But that's the structure. We're going to be reading this large book in the background. We're going to be reading shorter works. Still, some of them will be pretty dense. (laughs) And then we're going to be having those inform each other. And then, um, obviously, our priors, all the other episodes in the past will inform those. So, if you haven't listened to the entirety of Winning Slowly's back catalog, stop now and go do... No, I'm I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding. <laughs> Start at episode 14, though, because the first season... That's when we actually not, figured out what we were doing. very good. So before we jump into that discussion and, and think about that, I just want to reference a couple of the books that we're thinking about. We don't know what books we're going to read yet, but we have a list of things that we sort of imagine either haven't been read enough or perhaps have been misunderstood or stuff that we want to know about. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, just a, a, a this is a non comprehensive list, but Tools for Conviviality by Ivan Illich. Um, if you've read anything by Michael Sakasis, you've probably already read that book. <laughs> Technological Society by Jacques Ellul. The Age of Spiritual Machines by Ray Kurzweil, because we're not just going to read. 
people that we agree with. Right. Uh, the Master Switch by Tim Wu, which I've wanted to read for years. Thomas More's Utopia, because we're going to read old books. The Postmodern Condition by Francois Leotard. Uh, because we are going to talk about philosophy as well. Mm-hmm. Um, McLuhan, uh, I, I may convince Chris to read Foucault. That would be amazing. Umberto Eco, Sakasis himself in The Frailest Thing. Faith and Hope and Technology by Egbert Sherman. When Religion Meets New Media by Campbell. Albert Borgman's work, there's lots of it. Alistair McIntyre's After Virtue to see what the Benedict Option people are really talking about. <laughs> And and then uh, some fiction stuff, too. So uh, I love Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Chris has never seen it. It's true. Which gets at something else. Besides just our occasional Star Wars episodes that we've done, we haven't really done film. And does Star Wars really count as film, or are they just movies? Mm, that's a discussion for another uh, time. Mm, yeah. But we are going to try to tackle some, some movies, some film, some cinema, yeah. some things that cross the boundaries between these. So, for example, we might do a little Philip K. Dick because he's done a lot of interesting things in this space. So we might PKD. read Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep and then watch Blade Runner because be interesting comparison. But it would it's also just very interesting on epistemology, on identity, on technology, on how they shape each other. Mm-hmm. We might watch Re- Minority Report. Because inevitable. It's so you, good. You can't and not. It's, it's literally a rumination on epistemology. That's right. all it is. Gibson's Neuromancer, which is one of the early cyberpunk reflections on how the internet might change everything. Mm-hmm. And then going back to Michael Crichton, because Jurassic Park is this reflection on science and the that great shot with Jeff Goldblum that everybody loves appropriately <laughs> about you were so busy figuring out whether you could do it that you didn't stop to consider whether you should do it. Crichton's writing grapples with these kinds yeah. of things even more deeply than the movie does. But also, yeah. it'll be fun to see some 1991 CGI. Oh, yeah, raptors! Yeah, I'm actually really excited about that because it's. I that's another one where I think Jurassic Park is probably deeper than we think it is, and mm-hmm. no one reads the actual book mm-hmm. Jurassic Park. So I'm pretty stoked about that. I'm almost certain that's going to happen this year. Yes. There's a book that we found poking around called The Shockwave Writer, which dates back to, I think we said the early 80s? Earlier than that, like the 70s. 70s. And it seemed remarkably apropos given its description. So we're we're Yeah, it seemed like it was describing our future. It is amazing. It was impressive and terrifying. That's not good. (laughs) (laughs) And then we may dig into more of Kim Stanley Robinson's Mars books. I read Red Mars in the fall after we talked about it. There's a lot to mine there, and they're very interesting material. So that's some of the kinds of high-level stuff we've already looked at. There are also a long list of other things that we've only started poking through that we might dig into. Yeah, so thank you to A... Uh, Michael Sakasis for mm-hmm. pointing us in the direction of a long list of women who are doing yes, work in this area. We're pretty excited about that. We have a long list from Hannah Arendt to Elizabeth Eisenstein to Carolyn Marvin um, to Zainab Tufeki. I hope I said that right. I'm sorry. <laughs> and some fiction and then some pieces by black women that we we found through the Zora Cannon. Also, shout out to longtime listener Alushe, who gave us a bunch of good recommendations in that direction as well. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you so much. So there's tons of stuff. Ruha Benjamin's Race After Technology, 
super interesting. Unequal City, Race Schools, Perceptions of Justice by Carla Shedd. There's lots of stuff that's super exciting, um, and we're going to be going to be reading some of that. So we'll stop throwing things at you now and turn our <laughs> attention to what we wanted to talk about, which is that we've come up with two books that are pretty weighty, that are oft name-checked, oft discussed, but again, due to their long, long runtime, not often read as far as we're aware. And at a minimum, we haven't read them, so at a they'd minimum, be good for we us. haven't read them, yeah, yeah. The two books we're looking at are Jane Jacobs' The Death and Life of Great American Cities, which was something of a sociological and anthropological study on the development of cities in the mid-20th century, and particularly the impact of localism versus top-down design and how some of these things collided. And that has had ripple effects into areas that Stephen and I have talked about, basically citing people who are citing people who are citing Jane Jacobs on this. And there's a very deep well to draw from there. Everyone I've listened to or encountered who's read this book has said very good things about it, even when they disagreed with Jacobs on various points. Mm -hmm. The other one is Elizabeth Eisenstein's The Printing Press as an Agent of Change, which is roughly what it sounds like. It is a magisterial treatment of how the printing press shaped history after it arrived on the scene. Both of these sound very applicable to things we've Mm -hmm. talked about. They're different from each other. One of them is a much more direct interrogation of the kinds of subjects we've been addressing for the last six years about technology and change, and specifically how one piece of technology coming into the world has historical change. The other one is... That's the printing press one. That's the printing press one, yes. good, Good call out. The other one, Jane Jacobs on Cities is a little narrower in scope. It's looking at a narrower point in time. And it's a little less directly connected to the things we've been talking about. But it also seems like it could therefore be even more illuminating by way of being more of a contrast with a lot of the other things we're reading. So our debate, and it's not an argument, it's just a thing we haven't hashed out yet, till right now, get excited, Mm -hmm. is which one of these we think is going to be the the better pairing. And, and the real truth is, I, I don't know. I could go either yeah, way. So, so I, I think it comes down to what we're most interested in achieving. And I think that because we've identified epistemology as what we are roughly interested in, it comes down to what focus epistemology takes. Is epistemology something that's constrained into smaller individual atomistic bits, like people, like books? Or is epistemology something that is sort of the overall process of collective knowing, which I think is the American city's mm-hmm. sort of position? Not, I, I can't say that's the position, because I've not read it yet. But <laughs> just thinking about the concept of a city seems like you would say that there's a larger group of people here that are the thing we're talking about. Like a city is a collection of things, whereas the printing press is literally a thing that produces things. And so I I tend to be communitarian in terms of thinking about how we should do knowledge and do the production of community and and the production of society, I suppose, as opposed to a collection of individuals all wandering onto the same stage and therefore <laughs> being a society. Um so I on that front I would tend towards 
Jane Jacobs to think about how does technology affect a larger swath, perhaps? Yeah. Even though it's a more focused thing about cities. I think that like the printing press book would it's it's sort of an inside out or an outside in approach, right? Like Yeah, the, I think that's probably a better framing. The the printing press changed things from the inside out in that you put one of those in a building and suddenly everything was different. And then the American cities is you put a building around stuff and then suddenly <laughs> everything is different. I bet that Eisenstein and Jacobs would both just absolutely I'm love sure they that would description. Hate that. I'm sure yeah, they would yeah. they would you just you just ruined my whole work in one Stop sentence. Stop talking. You're no more terrible. podcasting. This podcast is over. You're fired. <laughs> I think there's also one of the interesting differences and challenges here is whether we want to think about more of the grand sweep of change or whether we want to think about what it looks like on the ground Mm. right here, right now over the course of a decade. And both of those are really valuable. I don't remember exactly how long Jacobs covers, but it's much more focused on a much narrower point in time. And both of these kinds of histories are very illuminating. It's, it appears that uh, Jane Jacobs book covers about a hundred years Okay. Uh, Maybe less. Late 1800s to mid 1900s. Yeah. Um, Whereas the printing press covers like (laughs) a lot of years. Half a millennium. A lot of years, yeah. I think my my very slight leaning is toward the printing press. Although if you'd asked me a week ago, I'd have said the opposite. And I think in some ways it doesn't actually matter which one we pick because they're both going to be informative and illuminating. Yeah. But my very slight leaning is toward the printing press, because I think there's something interesting to me in that broader, more sweeping focus, not least because a lot of the other things we're going to be reading will be much more of a time and much more focused on a specific set of changes that the people were encountering. And it's, I think, largely unarguable that we're still feeling the ramifications of the printing press. That in many ways, the internet gets compared to the advent of the printing press for a reason, because it is operating in very similar ways and having very similar shifts in scale of publishing specifically. I think that's also the downside of it, is it's very, very similar. Well, and it's uh, the printing press is 794 pages long, which means we would also have to have the Twitterified discussion of whether you're allowed to cut a book in half, um, <laughs> because that's a lot of pages to lug around. The answer is no, Stephen. Be kind to your books. <sighs> but like 800 pages in one volume. Like it's going to crush me if I'm trying to read it in bed. Hey, now, you've read The Wheel of Time. Don't complain to me. Yeah, but like that was that. this is apparently in one binding. Like, yeah, you've read Wheel of Time books that were that big. Well, that's fair. <laughs> so yeah, I think I think the printing press as an agent of change is I think it's like you said it's a little bit on the nose because there is the comparison, but at the same time yeah. we'd be able to deep dive on that. We'd be able to say how similar is it really? Mm-hmm. How much are people just picking a comparison because it's clear? as opposed to whether it's accurate. Right. So I think that's a compelling case. The, the other thing for Jane Jacobs that makes it interesting is that the, the, the Eisenstein book, I'm sure it has an argument, but like the, the, the opening line of Jane Jacobs' book is 
this book is an attack on current city planning and rebuilding. <laughs> so there's d- very different approaches. The other to the other risk the here, Stephen, is that I'm going to come out even more radicalized about how terrible American cities are if we read Jane Jacobs. Well, that's literally what she wants to happen. Yeah, so, like. <laughs> I think that's a totally reasonable potential outcome. Um, you already live on a mountain next to a lake. So, I mean, you're pretty far removed. But from, in a suburb. Which is, I mean, it's a, it's technically a suburb, but it's barely a suburb. Ba- yeah. um, I live in the suburb. <laughs> yes. Yes, you do. But yeah, so so there's like this this historical sweep, which again, I'm not saying that Eisenstein doesn't have opinions and arguments yeah. throughout her, her book, but I, I doubt strongly that they are as strident as Jacob's opinions. <laughs> this is an attack on the printing press. It's not how <laughs> it's, the printing press is an agent of change opens. opens up. Probably not how it opens. So I, I think I'm leaning a little bit towards Eisenstein for that reason, in that we're going to be reading a lot of critical stuff anyway, just because of the nature of the list we've put together and the interest that we have to understand yep. certain types of things. And so I think that the printing press is kind of my my lean. Yeah. Yeah. So the printing press it is. Until we're done with it. And then we'll go back to Jane Jacobs. Right. I was going to say, if we <laughs> take six months to get through that and then decide, or eight months, and we're still going strong, who knows? We'll pick up yeah. Jane Jacobs and keep going. Yeah. Because as I said at the beginning, we don't know how long this season is going to yeah, run. We different. expect it'll probably be all year. And... To give you an idea on the format, what we're intending to do after this episode is every book we read, we're going to dedicate two episodes to. Those episodes will be the normal 30 to 40 minutes-ish for us. We're not going to have any two-hour doorstoppers. Does doorstopper work for this? No, but I had it in mind because I was thinking about massive books. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we do need a name for for podcasts like Hardcore History that are like pod stoppers. Yeah. yeah. It's like, here's your next four-hour episode. Homie, right. I've never sat down right. for four hours listen to anything. <laughs> there, there aren't even seminars that long. The basic structure is we'll do pod stopper that's that's pod it stopper. pods pod stopper yep. i'll i'll take it i'll allow it the first episode will be an introduction to the book here's the argument here's the the gist and the themes and probably some basic mulling on our agreement with those. And then the second episode will be much more grappling with what it said. So where the first one will set it up, set up its argument and our basic take on it. The second one will be trying to get down to brass tacks with it. Do we agree with it? Do we disagree? What does it matter? What does it do? What does it do? When Plato makes the argument, he does in Phaedrus, which our next episode will be outlining that argument. Yep. Then do we think he was right? And do we think he was wrong? And regardless of where we fall, what do we do with that argument as it applies to right. our current context and the way we ought to think about the world? Everlasting pod stopper. <laughs> Those are for the longest ones. Steven's just stuck on this. I'm I'm really fascinated by this concept. <laughs> But Chris is right. That's the two-episode sweep. What we'll do is we will have picked the next book in advance. So when you hear us first start talking about the Phaedrus, we will tell you in next month's book will be X. And so you'll have a whole month's worth of time to potentially read the book if you're interested. So that'll keep us able to stay on top of things and you to be able to stay on top of things if you're interested in, in doing that. The other thing that we're going to vary up a little bit from past approaches is is instead of shooting for 
every other week, exactly. What we'll be doing is dropping episodes on the first and third Wednesdays of every month. So you'll get this one on Wednesday, January 29th as the exception because it's effectively the trailer for the season. This is a very long trailer for a podcast season, but it's winning slowly. That's how we roll. Yeah. After that, you'll get episodes on February 5th and 19th, on March 4th and 18th, on April 1st and 15th, and then you won't get one on the 29th of April, and we'll remind you about that in that episode. But that'll give us some little breaks a couple times throughout the year And it'll also just more regularize our schedule with the month so that you can think in terms of the April book is Umberto Eco or whatever it ends up being. So that's the the update. That's what we're going to be doing. We're really excited about it. We're very interested to see what happens. I think (laughs) this is the most excited I've been since we did the math problem series. Where we had all the axes going in all the directions. All the axes. That was so great. I still think about that, actually. Season 8, The Book Club. Here we go! The Book Club. Winning slowly, book club. So yes, indeed, we'll be reading Plato's The Phaedrus. We're not reading any particular uh, translation. That's what we're doing. We're excited to be back. We're excited to keep this this going, and uh, we hope that you are too. So thanks for listening to this super long, very weird trailer for the season. (laughs) The music at the beginning of the episode was To My Brain by Errol Barkley. Stephen, I just have to say, that was an excellent choice of opening music. Well done. What's up? I didn't even know that at the time. This season is dedicated to all of your brains, Winning Slowly listeners. That's right, to your brains. (laughs) Uh, So please don't use it without permission. We used it with permission. Um, If you're interested in supporting the show, you can do so by checking out our Patreon. Patreon slash winning slowly and you can also cash dot me slash dollar sign winning slowly it's true thanks to nathaniel blaney who's supporting us at the we shout you out on the podcast level thank you very much yes indeed you're the best remember that this episode in all its kind of wandery fun and all our episodes are licensed under creative common attribution license so when you hear us ranting about something out of umberto echo or mary midgley or someone else this season and you think it would make a great punk dance mix background i mean you can use that that way please do in all seriousness all of our stuff including the website is licensed openly for reuse please get to reusing it if you like it if you're interested in reaching out to us you can email us hello at winning slowly.org you can also find us on twitter and on facebook and kind catch of. us in the street i mean i do check it's not like i don't <laughs> check it's just i'm it's just slower than twitter or email so Uh, i'm even (laughs) (laughs) welcome back y'all it's gonna be a fun season and as always thanks for listening thanks for listening understood other than maybe some Marshall McLuhan quotes 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 Clotes. clearly I'm I'm really good on the words today <laughs> I'm just, by leotard whatever his first name is sorry man <laughs> that um, guy that French that guy, guy the leotard. About I mean, wait that was yeah. so many of them oh well, yeah <laughs> yeah we just called him leotard in grad school um <laughs> as lo- so here's the deal you can type as much as you want just don't type at the same time you're talking oh I do that 
I know I you definitely have to stop. do that. <laughs> no, you you, for, you forgot the contact. I was oh, yeah. going for the contact. Do, do the contact. <laughs> like I said, clearly we're professionals. Uh, this is going to be a really fun edit for me.